0: You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Philippians chapter 1. As, as, as all of you know, this past Wednesday was New Year's Day. And since it was the first service of the new year, I, I preached... On Wednesday night on the subject, I just called it one thing. And the rich young ruler, and just to give you a summary, he came to Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 10, and he was asking the Lord what he could do to inherit eternal life. And without rehashing the whole message today, the point from Wednesday really leads to this message. So this is kind of a follow-up thought, but from a different angle. See, the title of that and the main thought of that message on Wednesday night comes from the Lord's response there in Mark chapter 10, when the, the rich young ruler said, uh, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus Christ looked at him and said, This one thing thou lackest. This one thing thou lackest. You see, that rich young ruler, that young man was caught up in material possessions, as young men are prone to be. He loved his stuff. So when Christ put his love for riches and materials to the test... The young man, it says there at the end of that chapter, that he sadly walked away from following Christ because he wasn't willing to part with the stuff. He wasn't willing to say no to the stuff to follow Christ. So when Christ said, this one thing thou lackest, he was referring to that young man's love for the possessions. One thing kept a promising young man from following the Lord. And the primary application Wednesday was the necessity especially in a new year with 2020 coming, the necessity in a new year for us to analyze our lives and determine what one thing might be holding us back from being what we're supposed to be in the year 2020. And it could be any number of things. I mean, there's a long list of things. It could start with your one thing this morning uh, could be salvation. What's holding you back from following the Lord is you think you're okay with God, but you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ to save your soul. And I'm telling you, there's not a bigger one thing than that one. Today, your one thing could be taken care of if you'll place your faith in Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross. Your one thing, if you're not saved, will keep you from following Christ. Uh, Your one thing today might be an inconsistent walk with the Lord. And you say, I, I want to do right. I want to have victory over these things. I want to take the next step. I want to experience the unfamiliar grace. I, I want 2020 to be the best year ever. But in my own life, I don't have the discipline to sit down every day and spend time with my, in my relationship with God. Your one thing might be your walk with God. Even more specifically, your one thing might be The fact that you don't go to bed early enough the night before, and therefore you don't wake up early enough to spend time with the Lord. You could get real specific. That's the great thing about one thing. It can be a general thing. It can be a specific thing. Most of the time, it's better if we're specific about it. It, Your one thing could be a bad habit that prevents you from doing what you should. And your one thing needs to be, I need to get rid of that habit. Your one thing could be a besetting sin that you can't seem to overcome. It's not just a habit, it's a sin before the Lord. Your one thing could be a character trait that affects every one of your relationships. Your one thing might be anger, men. Your one thing might be that you don't control yourself, you don't control your temper, and therefore, because you're always flying off the handle, then everybody around you expects you to be a certain way, and that your one thing will prevent you from being what you're supposed to be, For the Lord it could be your one thing could be lust your one thing could be pride your one thing could be impatience your one thing could be bitterness and that one thing that you're holding on to is keeping you from following Christ like you should whatever it is it's good for us and it would be good for you today to examine yourself to examine ourselves and then define and give to the Lord the one thing that could make the biggest difference in your spiritual life in 2020. That was the exercise we went to and it's a much better on Wednesday and it's a much better approach than how we sometimes try to change everything at once. I don't know if you're a New Year's resolution kind of person and as some people are against it and some people are for it. I always look at a new year as a fresh start. I always look at a new year as a way that I could change some habits or improve myself or do something better this year. But our problem often is rather than changing one thing and focusing on one thing we try to change 10 or 15 things all at once. And if, that is your, if that's the way that you operate, one of two things typically happens if you're trying to change everything all at once. Number one, you don't have the energy or the time or the resources to do it all, so you quit just about before you start. I don't know if you've ever read the, uh, the book Animal Farm, and it's, a, it's a, an interesting book, and it's a lot of parallels to culture, but there, in, in the book Animal Farm, there's a horse named Boxer. And this horse named Boxer, his philosophy is, um, no matter what the challenge, no matter what the problem, um, it, I can do this if I just work harder. Anybody like that? You're a, you're a boxer in Animal Farm. You're that horse that says, any challenge that comes along, I, I can overcome this if I simply work harder. Well, by the end of the story, a Boxer has worked himself so hard that he finds himself spent and broken and it it, it leads to his demise. See, a lot of times in our lives, if we're trying to accomplish too much at once, we end up like boxer in that we're trying to do everything in our strength. We're trying to do it all at once, but honestly, we just don't have the resources to get it accomplished. That's one of the things that will happen if you're trying to change everything all at once. The other thing that will happen if you're trying to change too much at once is that you do get to it all, but you can't master any of it, so you're average at everything kind of a, a jack of all trades, but a master of none. You've probably heard that phrase before. So the point on Wednesday was that we're much better off focusing on one thing. One thing. What is the one thing? So the question I begin with today is a follow-up. What, so one thing on Wednesday, what, thing, what one thing is keeping you from following the Lord in 2020? And it's a great place to start if you want to see things change. It focuses on what you should cut out so that you can lock in on what matters the most. That question to me is like a sculptor, and he's looking at a piece of rock. And he's not so much considering um, what he could turn the rock into as he is. No, what, what needs to be taken away so that I'm left with the image that's in my mind? See, what one thing, that question, one thing, is really like you're looking at your life and your life is represented by a boulder, it's represented by a rock, in your mind you're thinking, what needs to be chipped away so that I'm left with what I want to be? I hope that you'll examine yourself today for that one thing that's preventing you. Now this morning's message really is also about one thing, but it's from the opposite angle. See, if Wednesday's approach deals with what you have to eliminate, today's message is more focused on what you ought to emphasize. If the story of the rich young ruler was about what you have to free yourself from, this morning's message is about what you should focus on. If Wednesday's message was about what you need to chip away and remove, this morning's is about the image you're left with after you remove all the unnecessary rock. So the question this morning is this, what one thing should I focus on in 2020 that's going to help it be the best spiritual year I've ever had? See, Wednesday, we're getting rid of the things that are keeping us from it. But today, we're deciding what's the one thing. What's the one thing that's my priority? What's the one thing that should be my focus? I believe that Paul's perspective really can provide some very real help to us in this thought. You see, as I already mentioned, Paul wrote this this, uh, book, the the letter to the Philippians. He wrote it from prison. He's sitting in a Roman prison cell after being arrested, not for doing something immoral or illegal. He was arrested for serving God. And as unfair as that seems to us, uh, if you read Paul's life, if you've ever read 2 Corinthians 11 then you might would come to the conclusion that being in prison is actually a better option than some of the other things he was facing in his life. I mean, the beatings and, and the scourgings and the shipwrecks and the stonings and all of those other things, but he finds himself in prison and persecuted because he was serving God. And yet look at his communication. Look at the way that he communicated. Look at verse 12. It says, but I would, ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened under me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, basically he's saying, I'm in prison, I'm in bonds. He said, but the persecution that I am facing that was intended to stop and put an end to the gospel work has actually had the opposite effect. As a matter of fact, uh, they, they put me in prison so that I would stop preaching the gospel But we're seeing that the gospel is actually being spread even more. Look at verse 13. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. So everybody has heard about it. Everybody knows that Paul's in prison. But rather than it putting an end to the gospel work, he's saying me being in prison has actually opened doors both where I'm at and in other places. How does that happen? Look at verse 14. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So somehow, Paul's bonds, him being thrown in prison, had resulted in other followers of Christ giving them the confidence to be even bolder with the gospel. I mean, what an amazing effect, one that we wouldn't think would even be possible is that, but you've seen this before, all it takes is one person standing where they should and everybody else sees it and they're like, hey, I wanna stand like they are. It gives them the confidence to do it. Well, here's Paul in a Roman prison. You would think that others would say, well, he's in prison. I don't wanna end up in prison, so I'll just be quiet. Well, actually, the opposite took place. They said, he's willing to go to prison for the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm gonna stand a little bolder today. I'm going to stand and be a little louder about the gospel. If Paul is in prison, and in prison he's still sharing the gospel, I'm going to share it where I'm at. We see this effect taking place. So he's actually, you know, if, I, if I'm writing a letter in prison, I did this with the Sunday school class when we were teaching through it, you know, I'd be singing, Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. But here's Paul. He's writing, you know what? The bonds that were supposed to stop the spreading of the gospel, you're not going to believe this, Philippians. The the bonds that were supposed to put an end to the work of Christ have actually increased its efforts. Have actually increased its effectiveness. And we're seeing more and more people spread the gospel. Now look at verse 15. It says, some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. So what he's saying is that there are some... ...that are out there preaching the gospel and their intentions are not good. Their motives are not right and maybe they're looking at Paul being in prison and they're saying... ...hey, I I got a chance, I can be the guy everybody looks to now. Paul's out of the way, I'll be the guy. He said some, that's their motive, but there are others that are preaching it out of sincerity... and, ...and Paul is able to say something that just kind of is amazing... Verse 16, the one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds. They're trying to make it harder on him. But the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. You have some on one hand that are preaching the gospel to make it harder on Paul. They're adding to his afflictions. But on the other hand, you have some that are preaching the gospel because they really want the gospel to get out. You've got these two uh, opposing viewpoints or motives. But look what Paul says out of that, verse 18. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therefore do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Here's a man who is facing some serious circumstances, He's facing some difficulties that most people have never even thought about experiencing in their lives, and yet he's able to say, I rejoice right now. I have joy right now. I'm thankful that I have a role to play in the gospel being preached, and whether it's a pretense, whether or not their motives are right, or it's in truth and their motives are sincere, it doesn't matter to me as long as the gospel message is being preached, now, we can apply that in a lot of different ways, but I'm coming at it from the angle that how does a man write like that in prison? How does a man have joy when things look bleak? How does a man, in, when things are difficult, how does he able, is he able to maintain joy through it all? Well, it's because he didn't make it about himself. He was just thankful to play a role in the gospel work. Look at verse 19. He said, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He's he's not talking about salvation as in being saved. He's talking about deliverance. And what he's saying is, I have confidence that your prayers will turn into me being delivered from this prison cell. And even if I'm not delivered, I have the Spirit of Jesus Christ. I have the Holy Spirit here to dwell with me and help me through this. Look at verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. You know what he's saying? I just want to live and die so boldly that when it's all said and done, people don't see Paul, they see Christ. I want to get down to the end of this. He says, so so yes, I'm in prison. And yes, that's tough. And yes, there are people that are opposing me on this side. And yeah, that's difficult. And yeah, the future doesn't look bright. It actually looks bleak. But in all of these things, I want to live in such a way that nobody's thinking about Paul. By the end of my life, they're seeing Jesus Christ. I want him to be magnified. You know, that word magnified means to what? It means to be made larger. He said, I want, by the end of my life, I want to live and die so boldly that when people look at me, they're not seeing me at all. They see this enlarged image of Jesus Christ in my life. And you get down to the end of this and you're thinking, how does he say that? How does he have that perspective? What is it about Paul's life that allows him to face these kind of circumstances Difficult circumstances. What about Paul's life allows him to face difficult people? I mean, very difficult people. People that are trying to add to his suffering, even while he's already in prison. How does he look at life with the right perspective? How in the world does he even say, yes, uh, it doesn't matter to me if people see me. I just want them to see Christ. If I live, if I die, it doesn't matter. It's all about Jesus Christ. How is it even possible? Because if he's anything like me, he is singing, nobody knows what trouble I've seen. If he's like me, when, when things are tough, I don't feel like having joy. I mean, maybe you do, and I, I'm the exception. I need to get, that's my one thing, apparently. I don't know about you, I have a tough time being joyful when things don't go well. I, I, don't, want, I don't want to have the right perspective sometimes. I want to have a pity party, I want to be upset, I want to stick out my poochie lip, and I want people to look at me and feel sorry for me sometimes. When things don't go well for me, my natural inclination is not joy. But Paul's able to have joy and the right perspective because of this. Are you ready for it? One thing. Look at verse 21 For me to live is Christ. You know Paul's one thing? I think we could pretty much sum it up with one word. Christ. He was able to have joy in trouble... ...because his one thing was Christ. And when you're focused on Christ... ...as we talked a few weeks ago... ...when your focus is on Jesus Christ... ...everything else is in the peripheral. It really does bring everything else into the proper perspective. Everything else falls into place. When your one focus is on Jesus Christ... So for Paul, he's the image under the layers of stone. As the sculptor, see, he's not just chipping away and just seeing what comes. No, in his mind, his one thing is Jesus Christ. That's what I want. That's what I want to be like. So I'm going to take a little bit off here. And I'm going to take a little bit off over here and I'm going to file this away. I'm going to bring this down a little bit because in his mind, he had one focus. He had one end. His one thing was a person and it was Jesus Christ. See, sometimes we, we try to, we, we might try to get rid of something or we might try to set something aside and we might try to say, well, this isn't helping me. But if we don't have the end in mind, if we don't have the image in mind of where we want to be, we won't really even know what to remove. It Sounds like Paul was able to maintain the right priority in life. You hear a lot about establishing priorities these days. And some of you, I I did this at the singles class uh, activity a few weeks ago and in men's prayer meeting. So I apologize if you heard it. I'm going to expand on it a little bit. But did you know the word priorities is actually a contradiction? Did you know the word priorities hasn't existed very long? Because it has always been priority. Because the term priority means most important thing. It means one most important. In other words, there can only be one most important thing in your life. Until the last century or so, priority was a singular word. It didn't have a plural form. The origin of the word priority suggests it means coming first compared to another thing. The state of being prior or first. Maybe the concept of having multiple priorities came because we wanted to get more done or we wanted to be more productive, which I don't fault, but it is still true. Folks, it is still true. There can only be one There can only be one most important. And as offensive as this statement is to soccer moms and helicopter parents, I'm sorry, not everybody comes in first place. (laughs) I had to just say that. My son, Jace, he's six years old. When he was five, we had him in soccer. And I'm not bragging or anything, but he scored a goal every game they played. So I'm just going to throw that out there. Of course, they played without goalies in that league, but that's beside the point. <laughs> but at the, end, at the end of the season, it's the last, the last day, the last game just took place, and, and their team did pretty well. I, um, they had a, another little, uh, little girl on their team that was really good and scored and scored and scored and scored against no goalie. So, But at the end of that game, that last game of the season, um, all the little teams were around, and, and if you've ever watched soccer with little kids, it's like a bunch of birds chasing one June bug, you know, they I mean, the goalie is, is picking flowers, and I mean, it's just a flock of kids chasing after a ball, it's, it's great fun. So it's not real soccer, but, but they do kind of keep score, and the kids, though, they, they definitely keep score. Well, by the end of it, all the kids were around, and they start giving away these little trophies with a little kid kicking a soccer ball on top of it. And they gave one, in Jace's mind, he had won every game they played. Because they had. Because of him and this little girl. And they had won all their games. Well, so they hand out the trophies to his team, and then they carry the box over to the other team that his team just beat. And they're giving them first place trophies. And then they go to this other team and they're giving them trophies. And at at the end of it, Jace is looking at me like, what? It's like, he he came up to me afterwards and said, why do they get a trophy they didn't even win? And I was like, exactly, son. My six-year-old son gets it. You know, in this culture, everybody wins, Right. In this culture, everybody gets a trophy and everybody's first place and everybody's made to feel like they're the winner, but, but there's only one first. There's only one thing in your life that's the most important thing. Uh, it's a recent phenomenon to declare multiple winners. It's come around the same time in our culture that people decided that the word priority could become priorities. To simply add an S is a contradiction based on the very definition of the word. There's no such thing as plural priorities. There's only one first. There's only one priority. There can only be one most important thing in your life. One thing, friend, is the most important to you. And I'd like to visualize this, and I, and I haven't done this very much, so I may not do it again if it doesn't go well. But I, I created an, a visual image I'd like to show you up here on the screen. So, yes, my graphic skills are for hire. So, up here you have a wagon wheel. Now, we all understand what a wheel looks like. And I'm not a mechanic, but I have the basic idea. For, for, our, for the sake of our illustration today, we're going to have three main parts. You've got, right, you've got uh, these... Right here, if this thing will work, you've got these are called the spokes. This around the edge is called the rim. And right here in the middle is called the hub. So for our definition, for our purposes today, we've got the, the rim around this outside, you've got the spokes, and you've got the hub. Now, the rim is the part of the wheel that turns and touches the ground. It's the part that is, is the most uh, in contact with the road. The, the rim is the part that if we're going to say that this represents our lives, then in our lives, the rim, this part around the outside, the rim is the part that other people see. It's the part of our life that we make contact with, with other people, and it may be visible to others, and it may seem like the most important part, but there are other things causing the rim to move. You understand that? See, a lot of times we get this flipped around and we say, well, the rim all the way around the outside, that's the most important thing. As long as what people see is figured out, then everything is good. But what we're not thinking about is the fact that the rim is being turned by other things. So you have then the rim and then you have these parts going across. Here you've got the spokes. Now, for our example today, the spokes are going to be... What, um, they're, they're obviously what connects the hub to the rim. The spokes are the different important pieces of your life. These are the things that matter. And any of the following things can be on your spokes. And I've listed over here, I've listed nine things. And just in no particular order except for the first, you've got Jesus Christ, your family life, your friendships, your relationships a career, an education, health, finances, and hobbies. Now, these are just the nine that I came up with. There are other things in your life. It could be something else that's a priority for you. That's fine. Just for sake of illustration, I'm trying to get us all on the same page here. And if you'll notice, there are nine things listed, but we're going to say there are only eight spokes and one hub. So the balance of life is trying to figure out where everything goes. See, if if we have anything off balance, whatever is right there in the middle affects everything else. See, as important as all those things are, only one can be the most important. There's only room on the hub for one name, and that's why the hub represents the most important thing in our lives. It's the part of the wheel that attaches to the axle. It's the, the power to turn the wheel comes through the hub. It's the part of the wheel that attaches to the end of each spoke and moves the spokes. And the hub is the most important thing. The hub is the priority from which everything else turns in your life. So what we're focusing on today is what's right there in the middle for you. See, only one thing can be listed on the hub of your life. Look at the list. Any of these things could be listed on a spoke. But since there can only be one most important thing, one priority, one thing, which one should it be? Now, you look at this list, and, and it could be, you know, family, as, as important as number two is, your family life for a lot of people, that, is, that right, might be right in the middle. It ought to be prioritized. It could be friendships. It could be your relationship. It could be your career. It could be your education. It could be your, your health and you trying to get healthy, which is good. These are all good things. Uh, finances, it's important to have good finances. Hobbies, I mean, as, as silly as it might sound, it's good for us to have things that we just do because we enjoy them. God rested on the seventh day. It's not a bad thing to have these things. But what we're all trying to do is figure out What is on the hub? What's right in the middle? See, understand this. If any of the things listed from number two down through number nine are on the hub of your heart, then Jesus Christ, where does he go? See, that's a problem because it means that Jesus Christ, the creator, God's son, is just another piece on your wagon wheel. He's just one among many. If he's a spoke, that means that if you, let's say that you have uh, friendships is, num- is right on your hub, well, that means that Jesus Christ is on a spoke and, on, and he, that means that he's equal with every one of your other relationships and he's equal with all of your friendships and he's on the same level as your career and he's on the same plane as your education and your health and your working out are equal to Jesus Christ's importance of your, in your life. Do you understand or do you see that if we have the wrong thing listed on our hub, then everything is out of balance. And it leads to another problem. If I label all of these things as priorities, then I am in a constant battle choosing between them. Because there can only be one most important. So if I'm trying to choose between nine, and there can only be one in the middle, I will live in constant and continual frustration. I'll be trying to balance what matters most. And if Jesus Christ is on the same level as everything else, he could be treated with the same respect and love and passion and energy as my career. So it leads to the obvious question today, what's in the middle for you? What's your one thing? You say, well, I have a pretty good balance between my family and Jesus Christ and my work. And No, there can only be one most important. If your family, I'm just going to use some examples. If your family is on the hub, I commend you for prioritizing your family. We need more husbands and we need fathers and wives and mothers who will see the value of the family like God sees the value of the family. It's important to God. The first institution, I mean, didn't take long for him to establish the family. But listen, but if your family comes before Christ, then you are out of balance. And I can say that with confidence. I know that will offend some, but I'm just telling you, if your family is on the hub and it is more important to you in your life than Jesus Christ, then your life is out of balance and, and Now understand, please don't take this wrong. I am not in any way saying that your family is unimportant. Not in any way. But husbands, you can love and lead your family more effectively and in a more godly way if Christ is on your hub. Right, if you put family first, it will limit husbands and fathers. It will limit how you lead your family. But if you put Christ on the hub and family is a spoke now it's an important spoke it should be a spoke uh, one of the most important spokes it's right there uh it right at the top but if you'll put christ first you'll be the husband you're supposed to be you'll be the father you're supposed to be your highest calling as a man is to love your wife as who loved the church jesus christ loved the church You could never love her the way that you ought to love her if Jesus Christ is not on your hub, giving you the examples to follow and the enabling with which to do what you're supposed to do. Putting Christ in the hub will make you a better husband. It will make you a better father. Moms, I know you love those kids with all your heart and you want to see them succeed and you want to nurture them and protect them and see them become what they're supposed to be. But if your own walk with Jesus Christ is not first, you will not be able to model the things that your children need to see to become like Jesus Christ themselves. So in short, mom and dad, you can love and lead your children so much more effectively if you are first who you ought to be in Christ. And as important as family is, it has to remain a spoke. Jesus Christ has to be the hub. That means that the things that pertain to Christ in your spiritual life, you need to make them a priority. Folks, that's why every family needs to be invested in a Christ-honoring, truth-proclaiming, scriptural New Testament church. As important as a spiritual home is in raising your children, and it is absolutely important, there are families that are increasingly bypassing God's plan for the spiritual growth of their family by diminishing the importance of the local New Testament church. But Christ loved the church. He gave himself for the church. You can't ignore the priority uh, in the New Testament of the local church. You can't ignore the priority that Jesus Christ himself placed on it when he said in Matthew 10, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I am, again, not in any way diminishing the importance of the family. But your family could be so much more strong and so much more godly and so much more spiritual if we would have husbands and mothers and fathers and wives be who they're supposed to be in Jesus Christ, leading their family that way. Don't diminish the things in your family's life that will help them to become disciples. Because this doesn't just apply to you. It applies to them too. So don't diminish the importance of the things that will help them the most spiritually. we We could use many examples. But the question today is what's in the middle? What's on your hub? Is it your career? Your education? Is it health and fitness? The issue comes when you consider that whatever's on your hub will make your decisions for you. Did you hear that? Whatever's on your hub... Turns the whole thing. So if you're in your hub, if on your hub, it's listed career. That means that you'll be willing to move to a new city and take a new job based on money or location without first considering whether or not there's a good Bible preaching local church there. Because your career is what's driving the car. Your hub says career, it turns the whole wheel. If on your hub it says education, that means you'll pour yourself into the books and homework and getting that degree at the expense of your walk with God. I can't tell you how many young people I've watched go to college, and in college they give themselves for four years to that education. And they do their homework, and they're diligent, and they live, uh, they live for their schoolwork, and they're getting it done, and they're getting good grades so they can maintain the scholarship. And listen, none of that is wrong. None of that is bad. But I can't tell you how many young people I've seen do that at the expense of their walk with God. And by connecting to their classes, and connecting to their grief, and connecting to their, their college, they leave Jesus Christ out of their life for four years. After that fourth year, and now they're no longer uh, working like they were to do their homework. They get a job and they establish a life. Well, Jesus Christ is so far out of their life that they leave him out completely. And they live the rest of their life without going back. I've seen it happen. If education is on your hub, those are the kind of decisions you'll find yourself making. If it's a relationship, it means you'll do whatever it takes to build and keep that, whether or not they love the Lord, whether or not they desire to serve God. I've seen that take down many of God's people before. A person's name is on the hub, but it's not Jesus Christ. What's in the middle of your wagon wheel? Only one thing can be listed. And right now, take inventory. If it's anything other than the name Jesus Christ then you have the wrong priority. Here's what your wagon wheel is supposed to look like. See, Jesus Christ is right in the middle. Jesus Christ's name is the biggest. And you've got everything else. I'm not diminishing all those other things at all. I'm not saying that your health's not important. I'm not saying that your education's not important. I'm not saying your family's not, or your finances, or your relationships, or your friendships. I'm not saying they're not important. They are important. But if they're built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, imagine how much better every single one of them are going to be. If my education starts with Christ, imagine how much more diligent I will be in my studies. If my relationships start with Jesus Christ, imagine how much more godly our conversations will be. If my career starts with Jesus Christ, that means I will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all the things that I could worry about, about paying my bills, they'll take care of themselves because God provides. Do you see how Jesus Christ at the hub changes everything? We know Paul's hub based on verse 21, looked like this. So why don't you complete the sentence this morning? For to me, to live is blank. What? What's on your hub? If yours is, for me to live is money, you'll one day leave it all behind. If yours is, for me to live is my job, that job won't last forever forever and it won't fulfill you on a spiritual level. Most people at the end of their lives, on their deathbed, they don't say, I wish I'd worked more. If yours is for me to live as my family, you are limiting how much you can love and influence your family for Christ if he's not first. If, your life, if, if you live to be liked by other people, That won't prepare you to stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment. You can insert anything you want, but I want you to ask yourself the question, for me to live is what? What's on your hub? What's in the middle? What one thing makes your decisions for you? What one thing turns your wheel? What do you wake up thinking about? What do you spend most of your money on? What do you spend most of your time thinking about and doing? Here's a good question to ask if you're trying to figure out what's on your hub. Do I allow difficult people and difficult circumstances rob me of my joy? Because That's what Paul was talking about. Well, if the answer is yes, then it's likely that Jesus Christ isn't on your hub. Christian, if your hub says Christ, you're doing well. You have found the one thing to focus on this year. Keep it up. But if signs point to anything else being in the middle... It's time to adjust that priority. And let me just reiterate, and then we'll, fi- we'll be done. Jesus Christ can't be on your hub if you've never met him. That's right, right. Amen. And you could be trying to write his name in all you want, but it's just lip service, it's not real. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and by that I mean if you've never received him as your savior, he'll, you'll never have a balanced life. And you'll be trying your whole life to put him in the middle and figure out everything. And it'll all just be wonky. Nothing's coming together like it should. And it's because you've never been saved. And this morning, you can put him on the hub of your life. If you'll receive him as your savior, the invitation is open to you. Christian today, what's on your hub? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's stand together.